I'm Alan, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Kaylee, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Danielle. My pronouns are she, her, and you are listening to Target Snark It, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. Welcome to Tuesday. I don't know if it's beautiful. I don't know if it's terrible. It could be a totally shitty Tuesday. I hope that we are able to make it slightly better. And by we, I mean this episode of Target Snarket. We are a Gold Muse award-winning weekly broadcast by Broad Digital Consulting. I am one of your hosts, Danielle. I am your other host for today, not Awen, Kaylee. So I like I like that your intro this time was just not Awen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've been really hitting it every week. So yeah, that's true. That's we're mixing true. it up. <laughs> right. Even when they just go with I'm Awen, somehow it works. And and then it just makes me mad. So then I have a shitty Tuesday. That's not true. We don't even record this on Tuesday. We record this any number of other days, uh, with the exception of Monday, because Marco would kill us because yes, she got to edit and, and produce. I love you. I Truly, truly. Thank you, Marco, for everything that you do. Uh, this week, this week, so much has happened, uh, but we're going to talk about, Keely, your eyes got wide like, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> so- there was stuff that happened. <laughs> stuff happened. Like, um, for instance, uh, you know, something that I have wanted to talk about, but I haven't talked about, but I've been privately sort of like obsessing about. Did you, you're familiar with Dax Shepard's podcast, right? Armchair Expert? Yes. Do you listen to it? No. Okay. Neither do I. I got a, uh, so you're like, why the fuck are you even thinking? (laughs) Right? Like, Danielle, this doesn't involve you. Like, please go find other things that involve you (laughs) to be upset about. But here I am. And, you know, isn't this why dudes start podcasts? You know, hey, Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm honoring uh no i'm i'm engaging in the time honored tradition of complaining about things that don't really impact me but um Dax Shepherd's podcast armchair expert yes. i got it recommended to me a, a million years ago it feels like by uh, a former friend um who is very very into podcasts and also this was back when everybody really really loved Dax Shepherd and Kristen Bell and like i have slowly been liking old Daxi a little less and less as time has gone on. Ooh. Yeah. There was some interview that came out like a year or two ago. It was probably actually like closer to two or three years ago with Kristen Bell, where she talked about, it was something about like how she's like not allowed to PMS. Did you read about this? No. Yeah. 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 So right. Like your tone says it all truly. Um, (laughs) So she's not allowed to PMS because Dax Shepard will not stand for any kind of excuse. And I think he was there and I think he like jumped in to be like, yeah, no, I I 100% stand by this. He will not stand for any excuse for um, 
uh, a woman or anybody in his home, and he's got daughters too, uh, to be um, like angry or short or, you know, whatever without reason. And like, while I understand. No, that's a reason though. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. While I understand. Hormonal imbalance is a reason. Is a reason. (laughs) Is a fucking reason. And while I understand that it's not okay, nor should it ever be something that is becomes an excuse to be abusive to your partner, to be super shitty. Like when I PMS, I always apologize if I like have a blow up about something that, you know, doesn't impact me. Uh, like, or, you know, Tyler's seen me cry over like pencils before, like I broke one yes. and you know, that's a thing. Like, but like you said, it's not for no reason. And it is quite literally out of our control sometimes. If it wasn't out of my control, I wouldn't cry about pencils. Dude. Okay. This is going to be way TMI for a business pod. Here we go. But like, my boyfriend is always saying how he can tell when I'm about to get my period because it's the only time I'm a bitch to him. Sure. He's like, you are like mean. You are mean. And so literally I'll like snap at him for something. And then he's like, are you on your period now? And I'll be like, no. And then three days later, I'll get it. And I won't tell him because I'm like, (laughs) I can't have him be right about this. (laughs) Kaylee making us all look bad, giving us a terrible name. I always apologize. I I will say that. I was like, no, that anger was so valid. I was barely even a bitch. Right. Right. Well, also though, like, you know, don't, I, I never love the, like, you're angry therefore you must be on your period. What did Tyler, Tyler cut me off on something today. And when I got upset because he cut me off, I like, I was upset. And he was like, you're mad at me for like no reason now. And I was like, no, 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 there is a reason. Like, like, do not assume, do not assume there's just no (laughs) reason. And it wasn't even a PMS was the reason. The reason is he fucking cut me off and he wouldn't let me finish fucking talking. Anyhow, Dax, does not allow Kristen yeah. to PMS. I think that's a weird thing to say. Also, like, allow, whatever. I'm not, like, I need to probably fact check myself on the exact language. It was a long time ago. Anyhow. So, like, he's kind of, like, been going downhill for me. I, I, I've looked at him, and he's, like, a little sus, right? Like, I'm not feeling great about him. Oh, then, this has, like, gone into a full yes, dive. Because <laughs> today, not today, today, no, like, last week, I don't even know how fucking often this podcast is aired, to be honest. Actually, I know that it came out on Monday because I saw in the comments somebody said something about a Monday guest. And I saw something about he posted that he and his co-host, I think her name is Monica. She's like Mm -hmm. weirdly involved in their family or something. Anyhow, they interviewed Jonathan Van Ness this last week. Okay. And love. the whole, yeah, love, love, <laughs> love. That human can do no wrong. Love. Like, like there is no ounce of derision at all for that human. They are perfect in every way. Mm-hmm. And I was very excited. I was like, this might be the episode I finally listened to because I love JVN and their bubbly, perfect, sparkling personality. 
and I didn't listen to it, but I had it in my in my in my noggin. I was gonna, and then I saw a bunch. Oh, I think I got served a TikTok by some woman who was like lighting Dax Shepard up, because apparently this entire podcast was meant to bring JVN to talk about JVN. By the by, goes by all pronouns he she they. Uh, so you'll hear us use them interchangeably. Um, but JVN has a podcast called Getting Serious or Getting Curious, excuse me. Mm-hmm. They also have a, a stand-up show. I think they have a Netflix show by the same name, Getting Curious. They're obviously on uh, Queer Eye as well. So they were on to promote uh, their new book, and I think uh, maybe a new tour and their podcast. Yeah. I think I think that's what it was. It sounds like it was just supposed to be kind of a puff piece. Like, hey, JVN, we love you, girl. Like, you're perfect. Tell us all about your tour, your podcast, you know, blah, 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 whatever. So Armchair Expert is famously about, like, making celebrities dig into their trauma and having, like, like heart-to-heart conversations And, like, there is apparently some ethos manifesto mission statement that Dax wrote forever ago, because men are always writing ethos manifesto mission statements, uh, about how he finds the way that we interact with our trauma fascinating, and that's why he does this podcast, blah, 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 whatever. But I guess, based on the comments I was reading, the Monday guest is, like, more of, like, a fluffy, like, promotion sort of a thing, which is what JBN Mm -hmm. came on to do. And instead was subjected to a line of questioning that essentially made them be an advocate for all of trans people. And like was questioned on like trans kids playing sports. And like, it was apparently Dax is also famously very like devil's advocate weirdo about things. Like there was an episode, I want to say it was with Kelly Clarkson was the one I saw uh, a TikTok clip of where like Kelly Clarkson, I think it was her and Monica were talking about how like they would never ever rape somebody and Dax Shepard was like, well, hear me out. What if? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for real. <laughs> like, no. for real. This is not a convo we have to have. No, right, right. Like, and so anyhow, I have been, now we've spent 10 minutes talking about it. I have been obsessing about this and how frustrated I am and how I want justice for Jonathan Van Ness. And, you know, you've got, uh, I, like I said, I didn't listen to it, but there were so many people, like if you go to JVN's Instagram or even like armchair experts, Instagram, you'll see a ton of comments from people that are like, I'm just really disappointed. I've loved this podcast for a long time. The way you treated JVN was like inexcusable. And JVN even had like this like super cryptic like Instagram caption about like bad blood and like whatever. So yeah. And then Dax put up some weird Instagram reel of him dancing with his wife, uh, her character from The Good Place. It's a, an inside joke from The Good Place where she says, Poe, but he's nerfect. Like nobody's perfect. And all it is is like him dancing with this shirt on. And I'm like, is this an apology? video no no No. 
unless it's in a super, super subtle room that they keep in their home for their apology videos. Right. And on a very low quality <laughs> Zoom call, like, then you know. Right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, it's the, it's the, look, we're not rich. We have a shiplap wall. This is our uh, shiplap room. Like, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly, always. Uh, our our Dollar General shiplap room, right? Uh, so anyway, <laughs> that's what I'm mad about this week that doesn't impact me, that I'm able to direct my energy into in an effort to avoid or ignore all the things that, you know, do impact us. <laughs> How about you? Um, Things good? <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, I was thinking this week in podcast was pretty big for me. But also, more importantly, that whole trauma thing, I don't love that. Like, questioning to get to your trauma. I do like, alternatively, the um, there is, I'm totally blanking on the comedian's name, but he hosts a podcast called The Honeydew, and he brings on different comedians and different people to tell a story. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be your worst story, but like, it's about highlighting the low light or it's what highlighting the low life or highlighting the low lights of your life. And it's something, but like the person is actively choosing to tell that story, which I think is different. And it's more of like a, we all go through this. And like, I can't, I can't definitively say anything about the subject matter. Just that I read the ethos manifesto mission statement, whatever the fuck it is. And like, and I also know that people cry pretty often on the show. Um, but also they work with, I mean, like celebrities and people obviously like agree to be on the show knowing what it is and they've got a massive following. Um, yeah, probably not for me, but especially not for me when you come for JVN, you best on this. Yeah. So in other news, Tom Sandoval is just another man who (sighs) got made a podcast. podcast. So I know, I I think we should (laughs) I know. <laughs> right. Like how how can we be expected to share this this stage, this universe with such garbage people sometimes, you know? Joe Rogan's still out here. I just love that Tom Sandoval Sandoval of uh Vanderpump Rules uh thought you know what I should do? give my opinion year round that nobody asked for. And of course that he announced it to what was it the day after uh, Ariana was on dancing with the stars. Yeah. The day after her announcement post. Mm. Mm. And it's called everybody loves Tom. Mm. Fucking narcissist dude. Well, for our future pop culture celebrity podcast that we should one day start where you can educate all of us on things and then see like you're really good at monitoring those things. And I'm really good at always having an opinion. Like, so like, yeah, we have very different TikToks. <laughs> like, I think in general, this could be maybe it's just a. Uh, uh, a preliminary announcement for our new podcast, but that's not what we're talking about today. Thank you for everybody at home for listening to the last 15 fucking minutes of us talking about other people's podcasts um, <laughs> that we, that we one have not listened to, but two nope. don't like, yep. <laughs> and won't listen to. this is uh God, we're good at this. 
This is what dudes do. Um, okay. This week we are talking about other nefarious characters, however. We are talking about the Googs. Uh, Dr. Google, Mr. Google, uh, the Googmeister, and really just like paid ad platforms in general. To give just a, the briefest breakdown of what happened, there was a recent uh, expose tweet, tweet, X thread. I, what are X thread? I, I hate, is I hate it. it. X thread now? I hate it. I hate whatever <laughs> it is. Um, so a PPC professional, and for those playing the layperson home game, PPC stands for pay-per-click, referring to pay-per-click advertising. What that means to eliminate any confusion is that brands pay Google when you, the searcher, click on that brand's Google ads. So the ads that you see when you search, when you click on them, the brands themselves pay for those. That's called pay-per-click, PPC ad professional. Uh, this this gal said that she saw, and she'd been in the game for like a couple of decades or close to it. So like she knows what she's doing. She saw mysterious charges on things that she either didn't ask for, like some something that showed up on her client. It wasn't even her brand. It was her client's ad uh, receipt taking a look at, at what was being paid for. And there was a bunch of stuff on there that she, she didn't want and didn't ask for mm. and didn't sign up for and didn't pay for and didn't intend to pay for. And when she reached out to the Googs about it, uh, also for those of you listening, you may or may not be familiar with how famously useful large tech brand support channels are. Uh, and by family, an FAQ page. FAQ meaning <laughs> fuck you. Uh, um, that's that's pretty much what it is. If you've ever tried to get an answer from Google or Facebook about anything at all, I can assure you, not helpful. Uh, mm -hmm. They're everywhere when they want you to pay for things, which is, uh, I know something else we're going to talk about, but they are nowhere when you ask to be given the product that you're paying for. Uh, as a matter of fact, for those of you who have been listening since we talked about our worst mistakes, uh, when I accidentally spent $10,000 a day instead of for a month, uh, I tried to reach out to support and that was at the beginning of quarantine or maybe we were like a couple months in, but like Google had like laid off all of their support staff. And so you couldn't chat with anybody. You couldn't call, you had to email and then you just had to like subsist on wishes and hopes mm -hmm. and dreams that they would email you back. It turns out post post pandemic, nothing's really changed. Um, but this woman did reach out. She got a response from support saying, oh, yeah, those mysterious charges were because sometimes at Google, we test new products to see how they no. work. And then you pay for them. Uh, and she's like, hold on. Did we sign up? to be a part of this program and they were like no we just do this so they just test things on our dime uh literally on our dime like like that's the other thing is like they could test for free for free mm -hmm. <laughs> like, but 
instead they are making money off of the the product testing they already would have to do and when she said no I don't want that. And I demand a refund for this as I have never opted into this. I didn't even know it existed until today. They were like, cool, let me get back to you. And then like a week later, they were like, ooh, so sorry. We don't actually offer refunds on those things. She tweeted about it, got the attention of a bigwig at Google uh, who said that 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 person would bring it to their team and would get back to them. And then like a week or two went by, no response. And then the party line, I guess, was like, tough noogies. Uh, well, too bad, you'd so have sad. to be able to give a refund to every other person that that happened to then if they called to complain. Right. Too bad, so sad. No, we're not giving you a refund. And no, we don't intend on stopping this policy. But like, hey, good news. We don't have to figure out now, I guess, how to announce it. (laughs) Like, what? I I guess my first question is, like, I know that we're going to talk about, like, why the Googs and, you know, first do do no harm or no, wait, it's it's don't be evil was that that the other one was a Hippocratic oath, but like, don't be (laughs) evil was initially like one of their their big pillars at inception. Um, Why why they that is no longer a thing and why Google can't be trusted and really why you probably shouldn't trust most of these platforms. But I, I'm just curious. I'm just curious here, especially because I know that you're going to talk to us about the D.O. motherfucking J, the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you subscribe to our newsletter, you know we have written a couple of things and have been monitoring consistently the issues facing Google with the Department of Justice in the antitrust lawsuit that's going on right now. So if you've heard anything in the news, or if you've heard your congressperson talk about wanting to break Google up, that's the the antitrust stuff that's going on right now, right? I know we're going to talk about the DOJ thing. I do think, though, it takes a wondrous amount of testicular fortitude to, while you have an antitrust lawsuit going on with the motherfucking Department of Justice, Mm -hmm. to be charging people for things they did not want and would not have opted in to pay for. Do you think there's a, a class action? I could see there being a class action be- unless it's part of the terms and services of creating an ad account that no one reads, which is where sure. they usually hide a lot of things. Sure. Um, but the other thing is just like, this isn't the first time that they've done something like this to, in my opinion, like, I guess how much of those tests generated revenue for the month? Like if you took all of those away, are you still seeing the month over month increase? Because they also, I, um, they just recently actually admitted to manipulating the ad auctions to make things higher and make yeah. people pay for things higher than it actually is after previously denying it in order to meet target goals and growth goals. So like, 
is this a part of that and saying, oh, maybe we did it for free when it was under Larry Page and like the original team, but now we can also generate revenue this way. So to make sure I'm understanding, you're Mm -hmm. asking if you were to take away the test, does that get rid of the revenue generation for Google? Yeah. Like would it be, would for the month of, let's say September, their monthly annual revenue or ad revenue that they made for that month, would it be significantly lower if they didn't run tests on 10,000 companies that are using their ads? Yeah, I thought originally the angle you were going with it was um, would the like did the brand who got tested without their knowledge, uh, did the brand end up making money off of it and therefore like should have to pay for it, which like. I do understand oh, that that, also... would, that would probably be one of their arguments, right? Like is like, well, if we took away the testing that happened, how well would your ads have done? But you're right. When you manipulate the ad data, there's no way for me to actually know that or verifiably mm-hmm. prove that since attribution modeling is still famously bad. And, and if, again, uh, layperson home game uh, participants Attribution modeling is um, attribution is the measurement for how we know what action was taken right before a sale. So if Kaylee sees an Instagram ad and uh, it's for um, a a costume for her dog, because I'm trying to go with the most Kaylee purchase that I can think of. (laughs) It's so on brand. Like it was either uh, it was either a dog costume or it was like a uh, witty tie dye graphic tee featuring Nicolas Cage. I was going yes. with one of those two. But anyway, Both on my birthday <laughs> list for next month. For <laughs> so so Kaylee sees an Instagram ad. If Kaylee opens up that ad and immediately purchases because she's like, holy fuck, take my money already, (laughs) then the attribution for that would go to Instagram. That doesn't mean that we have to pay Instagram. It just means that as a brand, as the, the person who sells the dog costumes, I know that Instagram is what drove Kaylee to that sale. Now, there are two elements or, or two primary ways that people measure attribution. There's what's called first touch attribution, and then there's also what's called last touch attribution. Mm-hmm. In Kaylee's experience in this example, if this was the first time she ever saw the dog costume ad, then that would be both first and last touch attribution. But let's say that Kaylee actually saw the dog costume ad originally on TikTok. That means that the first touch would be TikTok attribution that, or TikTok would be the first touch attribution, excuse me. Um, And that Instagram, when she actually made the purchase would be last touch. So there's first touch and last touch, but uh, if you're familiar at all with, and, and I, this is a fun game. And by fun game, I mean, it's probably not fun for anybody but marketers, but I like to play the game that's how many touches until I make a purchase. And mm-hmm. I kind of mentally clock how many times I've seen an ad before I actually go, ah, fine, I'll do this. Like, for instance, Royal Match, you're familiar with all of the ads of that campaign. 
I probably saw the. When we talk about, they use cameos for their ads. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Like it has the watermark. Yeah. DJ James Kennedy. (laughs) DJ James Kennedy was a Royal Match cameo, and I remember thinking, "Why? Yeah. I don't know." There was somebody what a killer else. way for a celebrity ad. There was somebody else that I saw too who did this, and I was like, "I don't understand why you're here, telling me this. Like, am I to believe that you <laughs> are actually playing this game? Truly, anyhow, I've probably been served five hundred Royal Match ads just in the fucking last year, yes. it, like, and I finally." I finally bought it because I, I not even bought it. I downloaded it because uh, you don't have to buy it. Like, so one of those ads was eventually the last touch. And that's what on the Royal Match side or on the gaming uh, company side, they would have seen this bitch finally downloaded and it came from X platform. Mm-hmm. Attribution modeling is famously difficult because it assumes that either the first touch or the last touch is wholly responsible for your purchase, which we know we we know factually is incorrect. Uh, it takes on average what seven touches? Seven, yeah. I think, and even most recently, I feel like I've seen the range even be like seven to twelve touches, depending upon the type of buyer you are, and the content you're producing. Like, if totally. you're producing crap stuff just keep showing up in front of people right i mean if fuck i downloaded royal match and now i can't stop fucking playing the game so like i guess it worked uh years later um but like really doing that long game um but that's why uh like attribution modeling is very difficult because there aren't a lot of tools to measure what happens between the first touch and the last touch and the tools Mm -hmm. that do exist out there are pretty expensive. Um, So attribution modeling or accurate attribution modeling is not really accessible or available to a lot of people. What it means is that uh, people like attribution modeling is helpful for if I know that Facebook is always a first touch or a last touch, for instance, then I know that I want to put more money into Facebook. I want to put more time, more effort into Facebook for my brand. Um, But if I don't know those things, uh, or it's not showing up as either first or last touch, then I might think Facebook is pointless. And that would be probably incorrect because Mm -hmm. you don't know what happened with touches two through six. Facebook could be literally all of those. Yeah. So what we're saying here to kind of bring it back around is that like Kaylee's saying that, that the ad auctions have been manipulated. So they're manipulating the game, denying it, They're charging you for things that they say are working and the argument would likely be, well, it helped your brand, so you have to pay for it, but you can't really tell. You don't have a way to independently verify because they don't make any of that data available. You just have to trust that the Mm -hmm. reporting you're seeing is accurate, which is why we always say with our clients, you never rely on one reporting tool. ever (laughs) uh so yeah that's that's an interesting an interesting thought too um 
it feels like embezzlement. Yeah, it sure feels dirty, doesn't it? <laughs> it feels like when you watch a movie and they're like, if I take a penny a day from this cash register, but I do it from 40 of the cash registers, like, you know, like how much money will I have in a year? Like that's, that's what they're doing. And I, I mean, I think I'm assuming, hoping that nobody notices. I'm sure they're just hoping no one notices. And I think it goes back into that DOJ case we wanted to talk about of them. They're such a giant in the search market industry. Sure. Beyond a giant, they're almost all of, they're 90% of it. It's at an almost opoly, I would call it. Like, but <laughs> if, why? So then why are you rigging the game? Is it just so you can have no competition? And you are the ultimate source of truth of all things search, which mind you, many people believe it's a, it's a verb to Google something is searching yep. something on your phone. Yep. And I found myself looking up all this stuff, like bad stuff about Google on, on Google. Google. I'm right. doing it on my Chrome. Right. <laughs> right. A hundred percent. I'm like looking up alternatives to Google ads and it's like, but Google ads, you're on Google right now. <laughs> this, is, this is why it, we, we preach so hard on this podcast to be an aware consumer, but we also understand while we're hating on capitalism, that we're typically doing it from a smartphone on mm. a social media platform, or in these situations, recording on, you know, a brand software so that we can get this message out to you. So, I mean, like, we definitely do recognize the irony in all of it. But to your point, nobody goes, uh, well, you know what, if you don't understand, why don't you go bing it? head on over to axe jeeves it's still open right right also though to be to be fair maybe this isn't fair i don't know using bang as a verb feels like weirdly like euphemistic go bang yourself And then uh, surely banged it, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I gotta go bing it real quick. Yeah, <laughs> like what? Like, guy, that didn't even mean anything, but it meant everything. <laughs> so, like, I guess, uh, you know, this uh, this podcast is a whole lot of breakdown, of course, uh, to get to the the why the fuck this matters. And um, if you are, are joining us uh, either for the first time with this episode or you joined a little bit later in the game and you haven't gone back to listen to any of our early episodes, I really recommend taking a listen um, or a watch of The Currency of Attention with uh, one of our guests, Amir, uh, who is a search engine professional uh, working for an agency. And he, uh, he and I discussed the way that the search algorithm essentially manipulates us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that we feed into it, but ultimately it it really feeds us. Like uh, that we end up kind of becoming the, the frogs in the boiling pot in, in some capacity. But in addition to that background, I would love if you could break down for us, um, you know, what you learned about the, I thought the, the lawsuit about scraping data was something interesting that I don't think I'd heard about. And then also just talking about the, the monopoly in general. 
yeah. So let me pull up so I can say things correctly. But the first thing I want to talk about is just like I said, the ad auction manipulation. Um, in September, they had there was a resurfaced clips from an SMX advanced uh, event where a Google representative openly denied that they were manipulating any of the ad auctions. So that was brought back up immediately after. Like I said, they quietly have been increasing their cost per clicks and cost per um, bids on certain keywords in order to meet their target goals for revenue for the month. So over time, as much as 5% of their ad prices were getting, it was getting raised about 5% um, for certain keywords and especially the most bid on keywords. So they're essentially kind of manipulating how much everything costs. It would also make me question if they then are manipulating to favor certain companies over another, regardless of budget, because they do have that power, I would assume. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't. I also mm-hmm. like, is this, I wonder if this is to to please like stakeholders. Is there more investment they need for AI, like what the advantage would be to like inflating or manipulating or manufacturing, you know, f- to hit revenue targets? Um, well, the Google's chief financial officer wrote an email back in May 2019, and he specifically mentioned in this email that was leaked. A, if we don't meet quota for the second quarter in a row, we will miss the street expectations again, which is uh, Wall Street. (laughs) And it's uh, not what the CEO signaled to Wall Street. So we'll get punished badly in the market. So for their actual um, stock price. And then also he said in the same email, I care more about revenue than the average person, but think we can all agree that for our teams trying to live in high cost areas, another 100,000 in stock price loss will not be great for morale, not to mention the huge impact on our sales team. What? (laughs) No. What? Yes. And that was in 2019. I, you know, I feel like every week I say I only have one pet peeve and it's time (laughs) to acknowledge the truth that I have, I have so many, so many peeves that are, are pet. Uh, This is though the idea that like, that a giant corporation could put the onus back on the 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 folks just in the workforce to mm-hmm. fix the stock prices so that they can continue having access to housing where they are required to live because they don't let people work remotely. Mm-hmm. Oh, this was 2019. So I guess like this was maybe before the, we don't, well, but I mean, nobody was allowed to work remotely then either. So like it wasn't and even I'm a pretty fucking sure option. Tech has a, yeah. I think tech has a hard return to office stance. Most of them. Yeah. That is 
wild. Yes. Now for AI, mm. super fun. So this came out in August. Um, Google said that they changed their privacy policy so that it would state they will be um, explicitly allow the company to use everything you post online and be used to develop its AI tools. So, wait, read that again? Google recently updated its privacy policy to explicitly allow the company, Google, to use everything that you're posting online to be used in developing its AI tools. Oh, wow. So that's, you know, what's really interesting about that is, is it just input or is it output too? Like if I'm typing into chat GPT, for, for instance, is it also scraping everything that that the GPT gives back. That I'm not entirely sure. Um, I do know they were hit with a class action lawsuit over this, uh, claiming a company scraped up copyright material without consent from oh, their yeah. website. Yeah. Um, so that's really where the biggest part is. But I would be interested to know if output is also included in that. Because that, input. that feels like stealing proprietary information, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not necessarily proprietary uh, because, I mean, it's it's machine learning, it's, you know, uh, natural language processing, all of that, but like, and it's, you know, open, I, hmm. that's the thing though, is like open AI is an open source, correct? I mean, it's a company, no. like they, they have their own proprietary models for building these things and they're looking at revenue grabs themselves. So that would be interesting. And of course, I mean, they are, the thing about monopolies is that most of them that really truly do exist have been able to fly under the radar for a long time because the justification, the argument is that other options do exist. It's just that nobody chooses them, but also it's a little bit like how Roe v. Wade did exist in Texas, even though they only allowed one clinic, like in the whole state or so, or whatever it was like, it might exist, but you have limited everybody's ability to choose it. And like we discussed on our, our rage episode, uh, talking about, uh, <laughs> they're all rage episodes, Danielle, but like <laughs> in our, our rage baiting episode, we talked about the fact that like this idea of choice, you cannot both rely on the idea of human choice as an argument and then manipulate the system so that it is extremely difficult for people to not choose you. Well, and then they were also, I, it's, kind of interesting because I think it also goes into how many they were buying out a lot of people that were going in the direction they wanted to go and would just almost buy the company that could have been a competitor 
um, and it w- now would be labeled a competitor. It's like they like to stick to the gray area of monopoly, Google. Sure, sure. Because um, it's not like the oil wars that you're think like it's not like Rockefeller. It's not like how old Hollywood was where it was like all under Columbia Pictures or like right. all Rockefeller oil. It's being able to grow in a direction and then purchasing the competitors before they are competitors. Right. Um, but this... This lawsuit specifically um, was filed in 2020, and it is it's specific to uh, Chrome. I would say mm-hmm. it's like internet search, but also Chrome is involved because the government lawyers are saying that Google pays more than I'm having heart palpitations reading this number, 15.5 billion per year to keep the positions. Uh, of where they are as a default web browser. So they pay billions of dollars each year just to be the default search engine on uh, like Safari and Mozilla. Jesus. That's more money than I will ever have in my whole lifetime. So that's like, that goes into why it's going to be so popular is because if you open up your Firefox, it's a Google. If you open up Safari, it goes straight to Google and it has edits for Google. Um, But so it's not, I think, I remember though, Bing being the search engine for iPhone. Apple is creating their own search engine right now that I don't think they're partnered with Bing anymore. Um, But that would be the only example I have. That was for a long time. The only reason we were telling people to consider Bing was that it's what iPhones use. Oddly enough, there is uh, a boomer and older population that uses Bing. Mm. Is it because of an of the distrust of Google, do you think? I think it's probably just if they have Windows machines, uh, they uh, are more likely to just open up whatever browser is automatically installed and switching to Chrome is... I forgot about Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um, over here on an Apple. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, because, uh, well, I don't even know what it's called anymore. Is it Edge? Or, no, I think they... Yeah, it's Edge. Uh, so they sunset the mm-hmm. uh, Internet Explorer option, and now it's just Microsoft Edge, which, I, I mean, honestly... If they'd come out with Edge like two or three years earlier, I probably would have just switched because mm. Edge, like they they did a great job at mimicking Chrome, and of course, you know the primary search engine in Edge. If you type it into like the the um, uh, URL field, uh, why am I forgetting what that <laughs> bar is called? Uh, the place where that holds your URL that can also be a search bar, like they use Bing for that, you know? Um, so honestly, like, I think that's why Bing has been able to grow in popularity a little bit because Edge doesn't suck the way that Explorer did. You know, Mm -hmm. Chrome came in and really provided, similar to the way that that Apple did when, you know, it launched the iPhone, uh, it provided this sleek user experience where you didn't have to worry about anything like, 
breaking on you. Everything was simple. I mean, that was the whole point of Google was this very, very simple user experience Uh, as compared to, you know, I'm old enough to remember the Alta Vistas and the Excites and all of that. Like all of those, if you open Yahoo now, I mean, it doesn't look that much fucking different than when (laughs) it was like 20 years ago. Right. Exactly. It just, it doesn't look that much different. It's very busy. It's very like it, it assaults your eyes. Um, and and Google was this very like minimalist, sleek experience that gave you exactly what you were looking for and was very intuitive. And Chrome mm-hmm. offered the same thing. It's also a fun visual experience. The way the the geometry that they use, the colors that they use, the icons that they use, it's just in general a, a good product. Um yeah. Edge finally got there but i mean this is why so many people switch to chrome in the first place and then you know you jump into the email market and especially the business email market and you i work on both um microsoft outlook and chrome and the only reason it's ever easy to work in microsoft outlook is because so do some of our clients Mm mm-hmm and like PowerPoint yeah. is improving. I, I will give it that. A lot of these Microsoft products are improving. And I don't doubt that Apple will be able to give us something that's really good, a really beautiful user experience as well. But of all of them, I trust Microsoft more than anybody. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, maybe it's because I worked there. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> it, but like, but also like being on the inside of it, and seeing that, like, I don't know, it was like, it was a great company to work for. Like, it's probably mm-hmm. the best job I've ever had. I mean, even with this one, like it is, it, it was just a really excellent work environment. And, um, you know, it might've been the team I was on or whatever, but like, I felt like I was at a place that I could really trust. Um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who work at Apple also feel that way about Apple, though. Uh, I don't trust Apple as far as I could throw them, and I don't have a lot of upper body strength. <laughs> so I just i I don't know what the phone experience is for Android. Um, I don't know. Is it Firefox, or do you have to upload something different if you have an Android device? Oh, I don't know, actually. I assumed that Android was all Microsoft products, though. So would it be like an Edge app? Maybe. Or a Bing app? Maybe. Okay. Uh, Android users, this is your time for engagement. But anyway... I don't talk. Uh, do I don't talk to green bubbles. Um... Yeah, I... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um... Google's contract, though, like this has been going on for 12 years where they have had this kind of upper hand and advantage, especially given um, the monetization of searching over phone, Googling on your phone on Safari. It only goes to Google. You would have to actively search for another search engine in order to get that information. So they're more likely to get mobile ad purchases than a Bing, a DuckDuckGo, any of the third party, unless you're actively purchasing that app or um, downloading it. So it's been 12 years and obviously something huge would have to change in order for them to not have that advantage. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I also have to wonder, like, this is something a lot of like Apple devotees don't like to hear. Um, but I, I know to be true among a growing number of the design community that, you know, Apple used to make its products for designers. It was for Mm -hmm. creators. And now they are finding that, that Tim Cook's Apple is not as innovative or creator friendly uh, or creator intuitive as Steve Jobs' Apple was. And so a growing number of people in the uh, design community are moving toward non-Apple products. They're moving toward PC products because they feel like they have more innovation. They have more tools that are available to them. And now a lot of designers are trying to figure out how to leverage AI to their advantage as well, which is smart, you know, innovate or die uh, kind of a thing. Um, But we're also seeing a greater democratization of design tools with things like Canva. Um, You know, I know a lot of organizations that use Canva exclusively. I know that we use it as one of our primary tools when we're talking about Mm -hmm. um, building things, you know, in, in addition to things like Adobe products. But I know that there was a growing sentiment in the design community that Apple had not just strayed, but kind of abandoned them. Like Apple had just assumed they would always have the design community, right? Like that they're the de facto brand for those, those creators. And and eventually that audience felt like they were kind of being taken advantage of. Like, you don't just automatically get my loyalty. You have to keep showing up for me. Mm-hmm. I say that because I wonder if Google's doing that right now. Like when you created a situation where you are, like you said, an almost opoly, like, do they just, because GA4 the, the new for, for anybody who's not working in website analytics Google Analytics used to have what was called Universal Analytics. It was a phenomenal tool for being able to figure out what the fuck people were doing on your website. Not individual people, but I could understand whether Facebook was driving traffic, uh, how many people interacted with my campaign, things like this. And their new tool, they sunset Universal Analytics this year, and they moved to something called GA4, and it is fucking hot, wet garbage it is so bad like it's no it's bad it's so (laughs) bad dude like nothing hoverable is clickable why have a hover function in the fucking first place if you can't click on anything and then on top of that, like the reports are just all terrible. I, I literally posted in the, the Facebook marketing group that we're both in, like, please, someone tell me that I am just like angry man yelling at cloud about this and that like it's actually much better than I realize and I'm just using it wrong. I want to be using it wrong because if I'm not using it wrong and this is all there is, why do we stay? Mm-hmm. There are other tools that we can be using. Why would we stay here? And it feels like Google has just relied on the fact that they're like, well, we've been giving you access to this free shit for so long. What are you going to do? Go pay for it somewhere else? Like, like maybe. Well, and it, it becomes like what is inherently just like this abusive relationship with these platforms. 
Like mm-hmm. Facebook is free, so you can't complain about the experience because you're not paying for it. And then when you do pay for it, it still fucking sucks, you know? Like <laughs> It's like, yeah, well, it is what it is. Like <laughs> X didn't get better because people have $8 check marks now. So I do wonder if like if we're starting to see this sort of, not even starting, we're, we're witnessing in real time the entitled attitude toward users. Well, also just the entitled ways of how businesses need to grow significantly every year, I think also has to play a huge part of this. Originally, Google was kind of the best option and it did have better products But like you said, now it's like an abusive relationship. It's like, well, who else are you going to? DuckDuckGo doesn't have any of this. Like, but in actuality, I mean, you could even hire someone to make a Google sheet that can pull all of the information from different platforms into one place. Like, it's not ideal, but we could figure other stuff out. I highly recommend, like, also just know more platforms other than Google. I think a big thing is going to be trying to get the decision makers to understand this is happening because I remember having to argue for why we want to set up Google analytics correctly and like the numbers we'd be able to find right. getting the intern on investment correct in things. Right. But now we can't do that and no. we can't go back to the decision maker and be like, well, it just doesn't exist anymore. Like, it, you're only going to get more cut budgets that way, I see. Right, right. I mean, and and when so many of us have to rely on these tools in order to build businesses, you know, it's one of the reasons that we talk about getting first-party data anyway, because you have to be, if, you're, if your house is built with cards that you don't even own, you will eventually have to figure out how to rebuild it or replace Mm -hmm. it. Um, You know, and I know that like, we do have some of these alternatives like DuckDuckGo. um, And I know you have here that like, it doesn't track, collect or store any information. You're safe to search for shoes without feeling bombarded by subsequent Macy's ads. It's worth noting there are still ads, just not personalized ones. I don't love a not personalized ad experience. Mm -hmm. I prefer to be given those subsequent Macy's ads if I'm searching for shoes, because ultimately I find new products this way and I find deals that way. I want a more personalized advertising experience. I think that the problem with advertising, I mean, you could, you could take it back even further in like, why do we have to advertise at all? Like find whatever, you know, is advertising the fucking death of humanity? I don't know, probably who cares at this point like it's not it's not going anywhere immediately tomorrow right like yes i i too wish that everybody had access to housing and healthcare and education um i would prefer to you know start with that versus getting rid of fucking advertising um but i also think that as a search engine i like the idea of my information not being stored on my search engine. Now, how else would they hit me with those personalized ads? I mean, there's lots of other platforms, I suppose. But 
I don't, you know, after that episode that we did with Amir, I don't love the idea that I am being manipulated by search engine result pages or SERPs. I don't love the idea that the information I receive is limited to what I've read before. Mm -hmm. Well, it also just kind of continues a conversation. Like, ideally, when you're looking at a marketing funnel for a brand, search is most likely like both the top and bottom funnel, because either you're looking for someone who doesn't really have an idea of what exactly they're looking for, and you're like molding your how to find this, how to find that, or whatever, or they know exactly what they're looking for. Um, so it's interesting that none of your ad results would pop up based off what you previously saw. So maybe you did. I'll go from real life experience. How do I get a duplicate of my vehicle registration? And like, if it wouldn't, if I at first searched Michigan, like Google registration in Michigan or whatever, but then I keep searching that it wouldn't pers like it wouldn't change at all over time for the ads that they would be serving me. Or like, this is the top blog you want to be reading. Right. Oh, we already know you looked in Michigan and now you're wording it differently. This right. might be a better one. Like it's kind of learning from itself right. rather than starting from zero every time. Yeah. Maybe there should be a decay rate on the information that we plug in, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, even something as simple as like clothes, uh, you know, what if what if my style changes what if my size changes what if um you know i'm not just shopping for myself like is there a way that we can have and when we say decay rate what we mean by that is um how long information is good for so the idea of decay rate man you guys are getting a lot of fucking education today if you're not in marketing <laughs> um like free education for for all of us democratization of marketing i don't know why can't i think of the word democratization of marketing i want to say vernacular but it's not that's not what i was what vocabulary it? no it's the fucking jargon jesus i was like Jingo? No, that's not it. Like, <laughs> the democratization of marketing jargon, which I know we all needed. Um, but decay rate essentially means that like, it's the idea that if I search for something now, it means I'm interested in buying it now. Whereas the further we get away from the time that I searched it, the less relevant it likely is to me. We talk about decay rate in marketing when it comes to email in particular or with leads and lead scoring. So if you uh, sign up for, you want to learn more about my brand, you ask for a demo. It means that you, let's say Kaylee signs up for a demo of my brand. She's interested in buying right now. But if I don't get back to her until a month later, that decay, I mean, she's probably decayed by this time. Like she's not interested in a demo anymore. She already made her decision. So the mm -hmm. idea that that uh, that what information can tell us or what your actions can tell us about your mindset and your intent decays over time. It becomes less relevant over time. And why don't we have decay rate or what what could we do to shorten the decay rate that is built into our algorithms and our systems? 
Well, you kind of have a little decay rate in terms of I am only thinking of the Facebook pixel that you only have that set information for 90 days. Mm -hmm. Um, 90 days is still a long time, though. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the whole quarter. <laughs> I know. I know. You took a look at other search engines that are alternatives yep. for people who are just like fucking done with Google. Yes, I did. Uh, Bing is obviously a big, a good option. Um, it has. It's probably the second highest in terms of people actively searching on it. Um, also has good advertising options. Yahoo owned by Bing, so. But it is a search engine still. Uh, DuckDuckGo is the what we were just talking about. If you are someone who comes away from this listening to us today and you go, fuck Google, um, that'll go great on YouTube. So maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you are nervous about the way that people are collecting your information, utilizing that information, DuckDuckGo might be a good option for you. And then uh, ask.com, aka Ask Jeeves, is still around as an option. And then I also wanted to highlight Yandex. It is the top search platform in Russia. Um, It has roughly 2% of the worldwide market share overall for search engines. It's primarily used in its home country, and Google holds the second spot for them, but it is just an up-and-coming option from another country. Also, real up-and-coming, like not ready at all for searching yet, you have Arefs, the SEO tool, is building their own search engine. So you'll also be able to search for keywords and then search on the actual search engine. And then you have Yep, which is a revenue sharing and higher privacy search engine, which is still in beta. I think, um, well, a couple of things. Uh, one, because when you said uh, Yahoo was owned by Bing, I was like, wait a minute, Bing's owned by Microsoft. So I looked it up. Yahoo is powered by Bing because- it- I'm so sorry. Well, no, it's Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How often do we fact check on this show anyway, right? Like, um, but no, because Yahoo just like couldn't keep up with, mm-hmm. you know, you've got these two options, right? Like, just like strike a deal with one of them. But I do think it's really interesting. While I would never use a Russian search engine ever, uh, just do not trust anything that is digitally coming out of there right now. Um, I do think it's really interesting, the idea that uh, SEO professionals are potentially paving the way for, you know, and creating new search engines um, based on what they know, right? Like Mm -hmm. Google was, it's not that Google was the first of its kind, but it definitely uh, improved upon a lot of other ideas. And now, I mean, Google is really what made search engine optimization a thing. And so mm-hmm. it like it created this idea of like relevance and authority and credibility and especially as it, it relates to how we how we search for things and how we market uh, our brands. And so I for one would be very interested in using a tool that was built by people who like cracked the code more or less on uh, what Google's doing, you know, doesn't have access to their proprietary information, but has analyzed it head to toe to be able to compete and do so. I mean, hopefully with integrity and just like better experience overall. Uh, and maybe, you know, going back to the original Google motto of don't be evil, which by the way, they sunset that motto very quietly. It's no longer a motto of theirs, 
but like they didn't tell anyone they were stopping it. Uh, so when people started calling it out, it like probably like six, seven years ago, they were like, oh, what happened to Don't Be Evil? They were like, actually. We sunsetted that. Right. We are it's evil okay. now. It's okay <laughs> to be a little evil, just as a treat. Um, you know, like I, I can see how SEO professionals might be able to to bring us back there. Um, I also think that there's no harm in having six nearly equitably used search engines again. You know, mm-hmm. similar to how you had pre Google. You had people who were Alta Vista devotees and Yahoo and Excite. And uh, there was like three or Ask Jeeves and then Ask.com. Like, like you had all of these different tools that were being used. And like people actually, the brands actually had to compete for your business. And all of it was still free. You didn't have to pay for any of it. It was paid by publishers, which is why it was an assault on your eyes. But like... All of them can pay for ads. And yes, does mm-hmm. that mean that as a brand, as a marketer, you've now got five new things to add to your budget? Probably, but you don't have to make them all five times what your existing budget is. You could take the existing budget and spread it around or figure out where your people are using. Uh, mm-hmm. Your persona might, like I said, if, you, if you're if you catering primarily to boomers and older, you should be evaluating Bing. Uh, and that's just based on you know general uh, user intuition if they have PCs, they're not going to want to go and make the switch over to Chrome. So that's a good mm-hmm. place for you to to reach more, reach more of them. Yeah, independent living facilities, mm. things like that. You could be using this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I think um, the other thing too, and I know it's something, you know, before we close out, uh, I know it's something that you and I are always educating our clients about and educating our, our friends and family and anyone who will listen. The The mistake in the digital age is to trust the platform saying that they're the experts. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think it used to be many years ago that you could trust that like if so-and-so is calling you or works for company X, they are the foremost expert on that. And that's not true. For instance, if you're hiring someone who says that they worked at Google or Facebook, find out in what capacity. Did they actually work at Google or Meta or were they technically contracted in order to be a quote unquote ads expert? Uh, Because that's not the same thing. If you worked on the ads product, that's one thing. If you are, however, one of those folks who is incessantly emailing and calling us, those of us who are running ads, to have a conversation about how we could be doing things better. And and this happens to us all the time, where a client will go, well, I got a call from a Facebook expert who works for Facebook, and they said we need to do X, Y, and Z. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to those people. The Facebook experts, you know what they're trying to do? Get you to spend more money on Facebook. They don't care if you get results. They don't give a shit if you get results. They want more money on the platform and they want it now. They want it fast. And mm-hmm. Facebook, if any anybody who is an actual Facebook expert who really truly cares about your business won't call you, you don't pick up their call 
call you again, you don't pick up their call, call you again 10 minutes later, you don't pick up their call, they leave a message, call you again two hours later, you don't pick up their call, they leave a message, and then email you. That's four to five calls sometimes in the space of a day. And then an email. Seven touches. <laughs> an email. Those people aren't product experts. Product experts don't have that kind of time. You know who has that kind of time? People for whom sales is their job. Yeah. They're also wanting you to put your budget behind the more expensive yeah. products as well. I know with Facebook, it drove me freaking bananas because we, like Danielle and I both have experience running with pretty minimal ad budgets, like yeah. 300 a month. And no, it doesn't make sense for me to put all of that $300 in just a lead campaign when we also, like, there's a whole funnel. We're doing other things. Like, we're not just only going to put money into the thing that it costs $100 per action. Like, it's, oh my God. And also, don't always listen to when it tells you that you have to spend more money because right. you also might receive an email that's like, hey, we saw this campaign. If you put more money behind this or anything or expand your audience to include people excluded from your customization, like that'll work because mm -hmm. you'll get more results. But it's because you're putting more money in thinking you're getting your more results rather than what could be a targeted good lead future sale. There's no easy way to say this, especially for those of us or those of the, of the folks that are listening or watching who are small business owners or entrepreneurs. There is the uh, temptation to not pay for an actual expert to help you with your ads, like somebody not employed by Facebook or Google. There's the temptation to not do that because it feels like an extra cost. But when you consider all of the wasted cost that will go to simply listening to whatever the platform tells you to do, you're spending probably the same amount, if not more on that wasted money. Uh, mm -hmm. Nobody at the platform, no amount of AI is going to ask you enough questions about your business to truly understand who you're trying to reach and what your full funnel is. Any ad vendor worth their salt. Also, if you're evaluating advertising professionals, experts, agencies, firms, whatever, you need to have somebody that's going to come up with a strategy for you and then execute on that strategy, not somebody who simply waits for you to tell them what to do. Hire advertising experts who are the experts, who aren't relying on you to be the expert and tell them what they need to go ahead and do. They're not, mm -hmm. nobody gets to be a professional button pusher, not in today's economy. Bring something else to the table or make room for the rest of us who are willing to. Uh, and if you're going to pick somebody, pick a, pick a vendor, make sure that that vendor is going to bring actual strategy, strategic thinking and recommendations beyond you have to spend more money to the table. Because I got to tell you, the amount of clients that we work with where we're not their ad agency, um, you know, we do work with clients where we are an ad agency for them. Um, but the ones that we work with that are, we aren't the ad agency, the amount of times that I hear, well, the problem is you need to spend more money. And Kaylee's exactly right. We have, our our entire career has been spent maximizing very small ad budgets to drive leads to the point where we've probably given 
brands the wrong impression that this is easy when actually it's not easy. We're just really fucking good at what we do. And truly (laughs) hair flip, uh, check your nails, all of it. Like, like we're very fucking good at what we do. And whether you work with us or not, you know, is uh, neither here nor there. Make sure that you're talking to people who have recommendations that are beyond you have to spend more money. Um, Sometimes you do. But nine times out of 10, when I've seen that happen, like we've got a client that spends, I mean, literal tens of thousands of dollars on advertising and the agency's recommendation when they want more leads is you have to spend more money. That's incorrect. Mm -hmm. If you're only spending $50, I might tell you, you have to spend a little more money if you want more results. (laughs) But first we're going to see if we, how much we can get for that $50. So at the end of the day, don't, don't listen to people who call you from Facebook or from Google or from other platforms. I remember thinking when I got that call for the first time from Facebook, I was like, I've made it. I know. They're calling me. (laughs) Sorry. Hold please. Facebook is calling me. And like, (laughs) I, excuse me, Mr. Zuckerberg. Mark, how are you? How's Cheryl? (laughs) Send her my best. Um, You know, I I get the temptation to feel like it's a really important deal, but man, I did. And I got to tell you the crushing disappointment throughout one of these calls when I realized that I knew more about the product than they did. Yeah. And they were trying to sell me on something that I was like, Oh no, that wouldn't work because of X, Y, and Z. And they go, Oh, huh. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, you're right. And I'm like, yeah. And that just kind of continued. Find, find good advertising experts that. Yeah. Google experts and face is Google experts. Aren't going to get you keyword research of like where to change what, but bid for what they're just going to be like, Oh, well you need to bid more than Mm -hmm. on what you already have. Right. They want (laughs) you to spend more money that's at the end of the day they want more money money please well it sounds like google's getting it anyway yeah that's true if they can't beg borrow steal right (laughs) um so action items kaylee how do you feel uh our listeners viewers should behave from this moment on uh as it relates to today uh if you're a business and some of this got you concerned or gave you the heebity jeebities. Uh, just become more versed in more platforms. See where you feel more comfortable. Uh, reevaluate while you, why you're using Google Ads to begin with. Is it for the banner ads? Is it for search uh, results and getting to the top for specific searches? And reevaluate if maybe other platforms could be better for that for you. And always just focus on who you're speaking to and where they are Mm. uh for the consumer everything already happened all of your data is already taken people (laughs) go to jail all the time for what they google because the government can also get it uh and just enjoy the next what year of trials we're probably gonna see before anything actually comes of it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I would say for businesses, especially, uh, be just be wary, be mindful. As Kaylee said, explore creative options and solutions. And, 
you know, it's not like don't use these platforms because if that's where your audience lives, you have to use those platforms. But the drum you will always hear the experts at Broad beating on is uh, go get the first party data. Mm-hmm. Get a campaign that drives people to give you their name and email address and then use email to communicate with them. That doesn't mean by any means necessary. That means offer them something of value, of commensurate value. If their information is highly valuable to you, you need to provide something highly valuable to them. It has to be a symbiotic relationship. There is nothing worse than downloading an asset, giving away my information for something that I thought was going to be valuable. And then I open it and I'm like, I was tricked. I was duped into giving my information for a low value uh, asset. So make sure that you are giving something of commensurate value. Uh, and yeah, for uh, to echo what Kaylee said, all of this already happened. You're not off the grid. Period. <laughs> it's too period. unless you've been using DuckDuckGo forever. Dude, it's too late. Honestly, <laughs> like like those the '90s AI images and whatnot. I was like, oh, maybe I'll go and like see it, like how it measured up with me in the '90s. Yeah, I was like, Actually. you know, thirteen. Um, but like. I've seen people be like, you know, now they have your image data. I'm like, bitch, you thought they did it before? They 100% did before. Does that mean that My we should My face is stolen. Yeah. Does this mean that like we shouldn't be careful about it? I mean, sure. But like also, it would be silly to think for a second that these people don't have access to this stuff already. Even if all your accounts are private, they absolutely have it. I would like to call out before we end this call up the birds papaya on Instagram Mm. did this an actual image from the 90s versus her amazing amazing and I appreciate her for showing what what's what no one looked like that during the 90s Uh, I'm sorry amazing (laughs) I should probably do that see if I can find an old yearbook and be like yeah this is this is what the nightmare actually looked like in reality. This, as if, right? The AI is just, just a fever dream. Oh my god, my makeup was like like the Jane eyeshadow pots that I had, like baby, like powder blue and baby pink mm-hmm. and lavender. And I, I wouldn't blend. I would just section them on my eyelids, so I'd wear all three. Oh yeah, no, it was, uh, it was great. <laughs> I could never. never. Okay. <laughs> Had no idea. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in to another week of Target Snark, a Gold Muse Award winning broadcast put out weekly uh, by Broad Digital Consulting. Uh, we are thankful to have you joining us on any one of our platforms. Uh, you can watch us on YouTube. You can listen to us wherever you find podcasts, or you can follow us on social on at Target Snarket on Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe. Drop it in the comments if you have uh an understanding of what browser Android 
users use, I guess. Uh, but also, yes. if there's anything you need to fact check us about, or if you also think that Dax Shepard is just a little fucking dusty these days, uh, please let us know in the comments. Ah. Same with Thomas Andrew. Uh Have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Okay, bye! <laughs>